Pollock trying to steer around. Picked off center. They score! Feather back over to Manny. Splits the defense. His shot. He scores! Back in his own end there was Shillington. Hard collision. BL centering feed. They score! This is Cuda Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Sharks AHL affiliate, the San Jose Barracuda. Here are your hosts, Nick Nolenberger and Joey Goldstein. All right, hello and welcome to another edition of Cuda Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Barracuda American Hockey League affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. The Sharks are still rolling along there in the Western Conference Final in a 1-1 series tie with the St. Louis Blues that now shifts out to the Gateway City tonight for game number three. The Sharks got through round number two in seven games, just like they did in round number one. Joe Pavelski returned after that gruesome injury in game seven in round one, returned in game seven in round two, and made his impact felt almost immediately at a goal and a primary helper on the second goal in that game and Sandals, they got past a very kind of uh, sneaky good Colorado team that kind of just got into the playoffs and then made, made a lot of hay once they got in. But um, back into the Western Conference Finals, first time since 2016, it's the same opponent that Sandals they had um, back in 2016 with the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, it, uh, it was good to see, obviously, have Pavs come back. He's a, a leader for that team, both on and off the ice, obviously, as the captain. So uh, to see... Him back. I, that announcement of him being in the starting lineup was the loudest I've ever heard that building. And I've, I, mean, I was there when Donskoy scored in overtime in the Stanley Cup, and I'm sure it was just as loud when the Sharks scored all those goals against Vegas to come back uh, in Game Seven. But it, it it was deafening. That's really the only way to describe it. Um, but yeah, Colorado was a s- sneaky good team. They've got a very that first line of. Landeskog, Rantanen, and McKinnon was phenomenal. I think a big key to that Game 7 win was McKinnon getting hurt and missing some time there in the first. I think somebody said that he had a grade 2 or grade 3 AC sprain or something in his shoulder, which is obviously very, very painful. And when you're a hockey player to just constantly be getting beat up like that, that's that's a tough thing to have to play through. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Sharks advance and – back in here against the series against the Blues, which has been competitive so far. Yeah, it's been an interesting Blues team. Obviously, the, the big talk was they were at dead last uh, in the NHL on January 1st. Um, Jordan Bennington has really been the story of the NHL this year. Um, I look back at a couple box scores just randomly. Um, I, I, it wasn't even a look if Bennington played or, or whether he was on the roster, and he just happened to be. The, the Barracuda had played San Antonio a couple games, and I look back, and Jordan Bennington was – on the roster in both those games, he, and he was backing up Vili Husso, yeah. who, um, who was kind of the guy that they thought was going to be the guy maybe who could push for an NHL job this year after a really strong rookie season a season ago. But Husso had, had his struggles this year. Of course, Bennington um, got his opportunity, and he took a full advantage of it, um, and now is his team in the Western Conference Finals. I saw somebody, I think it was Mike McKenna, tweeted something. Somebody had asked, you know, where did this kid come from? How come nobody saw him? And McKenna was like, well, he came from the AHL, where 90% of the NHL players currently came from. He won, he was an all-star. He won an OHL championship. Like, the guy's not hidden anywhere. He's, he's playing. It's just people don't pay enough attention to the American Hockey League and how much talent's actually there. And when you look and see that, that 90% number, is, that's staggering. That's a, that's a huge, huge number, and it's only going to continue to grow as, you know, the league, you know, moves on here, and his team start moving a little bit closer to home, I think. Uh, but this Biddington get it should be no surprise. Like, he was, he's a good player. He's been an all-star, granted. 
he's maybe he's been in some places where teams didn't really want him, but he seemed to find a home in St. Louis and, you know, kind of coming along the way of Matt Murray, he's going to work himself right into a nice contract too. Well, you know, and it just gives you, it's a great example. And you hear people talk about this a lot, that goaltenders take a while to develop. They take a while to get used to the professional game. And he's a perfect example from that. He's 25 years old. He's, you know, cut his teeth in the minors. Um, hasn't been an easy path. Last year they loaned him to Providence, but it wasn't as if they loaned him to Providence saying, hey, you know, we're done with you. Uh, the Blues, it was more like, hey, we are pretty log-jammed organizationally. Well, they were splitting an affiliate, position. too. That's what you got to remember. Um, yep, of course, they were in both Chicago and in San Antonio last year. But you, you send him out to Providence, he gets an opportunity to play games, uh, doesn't get buried, you know, in the death chart. And, um, give a guy credit when he got his chance. He took full advantage of it, and uh, he's got his group in the Western Conference Finals, and it's been quite the story for the St. Louis Blues, um, just their turnaround, and again, led by you know the young netminder in between the pipe. But so far, it's been a really good series. It's kind of advertised the Blues um, stealing home ice advantage back in their favor with a Game 2 victory after really a, a lopsided Game 1 win for San Jose, I thought. But the Sharks just a little bit flat in game two. I think everybody yeah. would admit that. For, for whatever reason, it just never got going. I was at the game, and, you know, you're just kind of waiting for things to kind of start rolling, especially once Cooch scored that shorthanded goal and then tied the game up on the breakaway. Um, but after that, just nothing nothing came to be. So. Yeah. I got I got notes kind of all. I get, <laughs> as I'm, so I was home this weekend. I watched both games. But as I'm sitting there watching, I'm, I'm just jotting random thoughts down in my head. Um, first one, obviously, game one was – uh, shellacking. The Sharks were just dominant, right? So you win game one like that, you have a chance to come out in game two and really shut this series up, I think. If you win game two, it, it really changes things, but obviously uh, things didn't go the Sharks' way. Um, I think it, the Sharks really controlled the game for a while and had a chance when, obviously, when we tied it up after Cooch scores those two goals, you have a chance to really put it away and, and for whatever reason, you know, it just it just slipped. I think a, a tough, uh, maybe an overly aggressive play by Joe Thornton on the Bortuzzo goal to let him come in and, and score. I mean, that's kind of not a guy you'd, you'd expect to put one in uh, in the playoffs. Obviously, he's never scored in the playoffs before that. Uh, overall, both games, you look at game one and game two, turnovers have led to scoring chances, and both teams have capitalized on those chances across both games. The Blues were the recipients of that in game one. The Sharks were the recipients of that in game two. Uh, I thought the four check for the Sharks was really, really good in game one. Not so great in game two. Um, and that's kind of like the Barracuda. That's kind of the system that they run. That's that's your your bread and butter, uh, really what you're looking for. Um, I think the thing that's the Sharks have to be wary of is they're very top-heavy as far as the people who are finding their way onto the score sheet. And you need those depth players to step up and contribute. You saw in the Colorado series that they were needed, and you're going to need them here too. Um, that That... Joe Thornton, Kevin LeBanc, Sorensen line uh, hasn't just hasn't been really great since uh, the Vegas series. Um, and I know they're shaking that up tonight as we're recording this. There, it sounds like Michael Haley's going to be in. Sorensen's going to be the odd man out, um, which you know maybe that that's the jolt that you need. But um, you need more from those guys. The power play, uh, at least in game two, I didn't think was very good at all. There's not a lot of movement. They have trouble getting into the zone. They kind of, instead of coming in with speed, it seems like they come in a little bit slower, and it's a lot easier to break up a rush when you're kind of moving at a leisurely pace. Uh, and then the other thing is if you're, if you're going to play aggressive and when you're down late in a game, if you're going to play aggressive like that, you need to be able to 
come back and help out in the defensive zone um, instead of just finding yourself in the offensive zone and lollygagging your way back. You know, St. Louis has been uh, so far in these playoffs have actually been a better road team than they've been a home team. They're six and two on visiting ice during these playoffs compared to a home record of three and four. Now, San Jose hasn't been overly dominant on the road, but they've proven through the regular season they can win on the road. They are two and four on visiting ice during these playoffs. You mentioned the power play for the Sharks and their struggles. St. Louis has also struggled on the power play, so it hasn't been a dominating special teams performance for both these clubs through the first couple of rounds. But certainly teams who have success, I feel like in the long run, they've got to get the power play going. Look <laughs> at Boston right now. Their power play is clicking really on all cylinders. Um, so for the Sharks, if they can find a way to get it going, and really the only time we've seen the power play find its stride was during that five-minute power play, yeah. which, of course, they scored the four goals. I mean, you take those four goals away, um, first of all, they don't even get to the second round, but also, you know, the power play would be, you know, from a percentage-wise, even worse than what it is right now. So they've got the horses, certainly, to get it going. Mm -hmm. It's just about finding that rhythm and yeah. getting shots through. Give um, St. Louis credit, I think, so far through the first couple of games. They've got some really big D. You mentioned Bertuzzo yeah. getting that big goal, and they do a good job just getting in shooting lanes. Bertuzzo blocked a crucial shot in the third period in game two on Kevin LeBanc yeah. in the slot. That probably saved a goal. The game yeah. would have been tied at 3-3 if he not put his body in the line. So um, they do a good job of kind of collapsing in the lower you know, slot. Um, San Jose's just got to find ways of moving the puck up high at the point and kind of opening up those Yeah, lanes. that's all it is. It's, it's hey, you got to get in the zone. And I think you need to go either if you're not going to dump it in and try and get behind them, you have to take it in with speed. You can't just kind of wait and see for something to open up. You have to take it in with speed, and then once it gets set up, it's you can't keep standing flat-footed. You got to – yes, you can move the puck around, but if you're not constantly moving towards the net, especially if you're on the back side, that back wing, if you're not making a push towards the net, it's just going to continue to stay stale. And it's very easy to get into shooting lanes uh, if you're not moving your feet and – moving around the zone. And I think that's, especially with someone like Burns, that's kind of, you find him shooting into people's legs a lot. But I think if you, if you just move a little bit more, you don't, you're not going to have those issues and those lanes will open up. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, I've, I've just loved Burns' game, um, especially, I mean, through these playoffs. He's just, he's been he's great. He's so dynamic. The but way he's able to he's been great, but there's just, there's just, I feel like there's so much more he can do. Yeah. He just well, he moves a little bit more on the power play. Who knows? Which that's to me, that's the encouraging sign. Is you're in the Western Conference Finals, and although you you've haven't gotten depth, you haven't played your best hockey yes, at all. I agree. That's the best. Yeah. Is you and you could, I guess you could say that for St. Louis too. It's both teams are where they are, but neither of them have played their best hockey. Yet, what you hear in the post game interviews, Couture says it, Pete DeBoer says it, uh, Martin Jones says it. It's you're there, but yeah. you haven't played great. I mean, they feel like they ha didn't, you know, they. But we're lucky to get past Colorado. They didn't think they played their best hockey against Colorado at yeah. all. So yeah. that's promising to know that they feel like there's more in the tank. Uh, so hopefully we is that's what we see here tonight moving forward. Let's quickly touch on one guy um, who everybody in the hockey world is talking about, and that's Logan Couture. Yeah. He's got 19 points that leads everybody throughout these playoffs. He's got 13 goals, six um, helpers. I mean, he's just been a dominant playoff performer. Every single year he's a guy who makes a name at this time of the year. Um, the talk has been, you know, consistent throughout, the, you know, the world of, world of the NHL. But I think it's – I saw a stat since 2010. I think only Alex Ovechkin has more points. Uh, than more Logan, goals. More goals than Logan Couture. He's got 50. Cooch has 46 or something like that. Like, it's 
And he, and he, I think he picked up his 100th uh, playoff point, point uh, mm-hmm. the other night. So um, he's the like an all underappreciated team, like first team all underappreciated. I just, I don't think he gets enough respect around the league, and that maybe that's because it's a West it's Coast thing. It's a West thing, Coast thing. I would. He's imagine. not as viewed as much, but he str- very very strong two way player should be up for a Selkie every year. I think in, in my mind, uh, but he's just responsible. He puts up points. He's a good leader. I mean, he's a guy who. He's a stud in this league. Yeah. A lot of people overlook him. Yeah. Maybe he's not an all-star every year, but when you look at the team that is out on the ice for San Jose every year, there's a lot of all-stars on yeah. that team, right? Yeah. So it's easy to be overlooked, but I, he, I feel like he doesn't get as much love as, as he should be getting, but I also yeah. think he kind of likes that. Yeah, he doesn't he does. seem like someone who who needs all the you know, all the love and, and appreciation. Accolades, yeah. I think he, he kind of likes just playing his game and, and helping the team win. Yeah, and he, I mean, you look at, on the East Coast, you've got a, a Patrice Bergeron who gets you know a lot of credit for his two-way game, well deserved. I mean, he's one of the best, yeah. if not the best, two-way hockey player in the entire NHL. But you know, Cooch is, is kind of plays a, that role as well, and he puts up a lot of points this time of year. So uh, kudos to him so far. It's just been a lot of fun to watch him, and just the way he elevates his game. You look for certain guys to do that, and he's one of those guys every single year this time of year that does it. He'll block shots, as we saw. You know, he took one in a very yeah. vulnerable spot yeah. in round number yeah. one, uh, joked about it in the post-game uh, uh, news conference, and came back the next game and was back in the lineup. So, And um, he's he's a guy, too, who's it wasn't with the Barracuda, but that's another guy who's come up through the American League. He was a rookie of the year. He was an all-star, so... It uh, just kind of goes to show the impact that those guys have on the NHL level. And you could look at the Sharks roster now. I mean, over of their current playoff roster, over half of the guys on that roster have played for the Barracuda. And it's an even bigger number if you look at guys who spent time in the American Hockey League. I would think maybe, maybe three or four people on the Sharks roster never played an American Hockey League game. Yeah. Off, off the top of my head, I know yeah. Jumbo didn't. Um, I don't think Brendan Dillon ever did. I, don't I think could Mark be wrong. Edward Vlasic Vlasic did, I played, believe. Vlasic Dillon played two did. games in yeah. Worcester. Yeah. Uh, Hurdle played two games. But, I mean, it's a very small number of guys who never played in the American Hockey League. And the Barracuda guys are doing really well. Yeah. Like, Timo's lighting it up. Yeah. He's kind of – this is almost his coming out party on the national stage, mm-hmm. right? It's 13 points, five goals, eight assists. Banker's been a key piece for them. Lots of games played. Joachim Ryan's played every game. Melka Carlson's played every game. Michael Haley's back in the lineup tonight. A lot of those guys, six of them, have, were in the Western Conference Finals with us a couple of years ago. Uh, and that's another number, too, that expands further if you look outside of the Sharks. I mean, you got guys like Ryan Carpenter who have playoff experience, and it, it continues to, to grow. So I think our kudos to our organization and, and Doug Wilson, Joe Will, all the scouts for really taking guys who they believe can play at the next level and really letting them groom and, and – hone their craft at the AHL level. Yeah, and it just kind of gives you a, you know, clear example where the game is going, even at the American League level, how young the game is going Mm -hmm. and how many young guys we had this past year and how many young guys you've got to have on your NHL roster from a financial standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're expecting these guys to play and produce at a cheap cost, at a, you know, a financially kind of, I guess, responsible, for lack of a better term, cost. So, um, see a lot of guys, as you mentioned, Joe, I think that's a great point, making an impact that we're just down in the American League, you know, as close as maybe eight months ago or, or what have you. So, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun watching these guys. Timo has just been a dynamic. Yeah. So, I mean, he is coming He's, into his own big time. Yeah. His name is, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's fun to watch. If it I, wasn't. Think, I think Pete said it too. It's 
with those power forwards, right? Sometimes it takes them a little bit longer to find their game. I think you saw that with Barkley Goodrow when he first started. Uh, it was tough for him to find that. He had to become the power forward. And then Hurdle, I know he over, had some injuries. He's kind of come – obviously he came into his own a couple of years ago. And now it's Timo's turn to kind of be that big body and, and wreak some havoc in the offensive zone. Yeah. That guys don't want to play. The game one, he – Absolutely, bolt. I forget who it was, but he bowled somebody over, took the puck, and went down and yeah. scored. Like yeah. it, it was like a, it was, it was like watching uh, a twelve-year-old go out and play with like six-year-olds. It well, wasn't fair. Well, I think that's one of the biggest adjustments for these power forwards coming from the junior ranks, because you know, if you're an eighteen, nineteen-year-old, even twenty-year-old, and you're going against fifteen, sixteen-year-olds, and I mean that's a big deal. So yeah. I think when they come up to the the pro level, it takes a bit of adjustment because now you're battling against men night in, night out. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, see the maturation process really right before our eyes has been been uh, exciting for for Sharks fans and for you know for for us here in the American League as well. Um, so the Sharks game three tonight. Uh, we want to kind of shift our our attention to what's going down in the American Hockey League. We're down to fi- our final four, our Frozen Four. Yeah. Um, and for you know in the Western Conference, we've got a Pacific Division team in San Diego who uh, has found their stride. And it's thanks to the insertion of quite a few talented well, yeah, players so let's, from Anaheim. Let's, let's go into that series, their series against and Bakersfield. And they're taking on – yeah, but, but they're going to take on Chicago. And then in the Eastern Conference, we got the top team during the regular season, 112 points in Charlotte, taking on the defending Calder Cup champion Toronto Marlies, who have not lost so far in the playoffs. Yeah. So that should be a pretty good matchup. Um, as well out in the East Coast. But we'll start with San Diego and Bakersfield because, of course, Bakersfield had that long 17-game winning streak during the regular season. That propelled them to a Pacific Division crown. They got through the first round, that opening round, and then they kind of ran into a bit of a buzzsaw in San Diego. They lost in the four overtimes in game one. Of course, that had to be deflating. Um, They lost in game two. So you're down 0-2 in that series, both games at home, and now you shift back to San Diego. They managed to get a win in that series, but eventually San Diego just proved too much to handle as the goals get through round number two and off to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I, and we said it coming, coming into the playoffs. I, I remember saying that San Diego, to me, was the best team. Uh, I think they were going to be the best team that we were going to go against. And on paper, I remember you saying on paper, they were clearly the best team probably in the AHL because they had gotten so many reinforcements from Anaheim. But you have that that first game uh, goes four overtimes, which was I mean if that was a precursor for what was going to come in that series, they were in for a doozy because it was just so tight the entire game. But they go to four overtimes, uh, and obviously the the two young guys coming in who weren't there for our series, uh, Comtois and and Lundstrom, have been a huge boost for them. I think that's what has pushed them over the edge. Without those guys, I can see. Bakersfield having potentially having won that series, but those two guys have made it completely different. Game three was, I believe, a seven-six win for Bakersfield. Like lots of goals yeah, scored. Yeah, the battle. Goalies got pulled. Game five and six, San Diego chased both goalies. Starrett started in game five. Skinner started in game six. Both got chased. They just seemed like they they were just uncomfortable. Didn't had two different starters. They didn't know what they wanted to do. It's You're kind of panicking at that point because every game is a must win. you got to change things up. But overall, San Diego is just – they're bigger. They're more physical. They were faster. They were more experienced. And at some point, I mean, you look at Bakersfield. They were so young, and 
they had so many rookies, so many talented rookies, but at some point that inexperience is going to come back to hit you. Yeah. And at no point during the season did they have that adversity. That adversity hit them at the most important time of the year, and they weren't able to overcome it. Yeah. And San Diego, I think, has a really good mix of skilled, producing veterans mm-hmm. and then really young, good rookies and young guys who are either in their first or second year. And as you mentioned, for Bakersfield, I think the inexperience just overwhelmed them in that second round. Yeah. You know, they were going against a team that was just too much to handle, and they had a lot of pieces that uh, found, you know, almost their coming out party this year, whether they're rookie or their second year. Um, but it just, you know, proved too much with San Diego in, in that And I don't know if it was round. game – Game five, maybe, in San Diego. They played in front of, I think, they sold the place out. Twelve. I don't think they'd ever sold that place out like that, where they had 12, 13,000 people in that building. And yeah. we've said it before, we've been down there. It's a tough place to play. But if you put that many people in that building, yeah. they're on top of you. Mm-hmm. It's, that's not easy. No, it's not. No, it's not. So I would assume that trend's going to continue. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure everybody down in San Diego is talking about it. It's on the news constantly, even during the regular season. So I'm sure, you know, they're already selling um, round number three tickets. That series will start in Chicago with the first two games coming up on Friday and Saturday as the uh, third round on both sides, the Western Conference and Eastern Conference, will start on Friday and Saturday. So um, it should be a pretty pretty good series, Chicago yeah. and San Diego. Um, Chicago's got the league MVP. They got some some good talent. I mean, they're, they're in a good position where, you know, Vegas – doesn't really need their young guys, you know. So, so those guys who have been there all year have kind of had the opportunity to groom because there's no need to force them in a lineup right now in Vegas because they're winning. So, uh, they get a lot of young guys, a lot of young talent. They've gotten some help. Uh, is it Nick Suzuki? Mm-hmm. I believe was the Vegas's first pick in the draft, not the last year. It was seven or eight overall, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, he's made an immediate impact. Uh, Cody Glass has been great for them. Obviously, Daniel Carr, the league MVP, he's been big. But um, I don't, I don't. I'm on the San Diego train here. I don't know if they're going to be able to get past them. It's going to be interesting. So you've got two number one seeds still remain. You got the top team uh, in that Central in Chicago, the top team out in the entire American Hockey League in Charlotte, and you've got two three, three seeds. seeds coming in with uh, with Toronto and with San Diego. Um, for San Diego, they're averaging 4.2 goals per game. That's the most during the playoffs. They've scored 42 goals in 10 games, so they are filling the net. For Chicago, they have the least goals per game so far on the remaining final teams. They've scored three goals per game. They've got some good goaltending. They're starting goaltender Oscar Dance. He was the 31st pick in the NHL draft a few years ago by Columbus. Didn't get a second contract. Just another guy. Mm-hmm. That Vegas able to find, add to the goaltending depth in their organization. He was really, really good this year um, for them. So it's tough. You look at Chicago. They're 7-4 during these playoffs. San Diego 7-3. and three. Um, I think from a talent standpoint, you probably have to give the edge to San Diego. But Vegas is out of playoffs too. And we all know Vegas yeah. has a lot of depth in terms of their prospects. I think it all comes, for me, this series comes down to one person. And it's Jeff Glass. Because I didn't think he was very good against us. And obviously, he got by the Bakersfield series, where obviously at times he let up a ton of goals. He's the guy. They're, San Diego's only going to go as far as he can go because I think he's the guy, and Boyle may, be, you know, may not be able to, to do it all mentally right now. Uh, so to me, Jeff Glass is that guy, and if, if he's going, they're going to be tough to beat. 
Yeah, they are going to be tough to beat. But that's a hard building um, out in Chicago as well. So it's two really good fan bases in the American League. Um, you've got two organizations in Toronto and Chicago that have called a cup championships under their belt. And you got two newcomers in Charlotte and San Diego. So for Chicago, they won back in 01-02 and 07-08. So they do have a tradition of winning there. You know, I don't know about this series. I want to give the edge to San Diego. I just think Chicago is kind of almost a veteran organization in the yeah. American League. And just the way they kind of just know how just traditionally in their history. Do you almost see it as similar series to what we went up against in Grand Rapids a couple years I do. ago? I do. That's exactly what I see. I see. Yeah. I just see a Chicago team. I think there's probably more talent in San Diego. Um, a lot of skill. It's hard to bet against these guys right now because I yeah. feel like they're rolling. They've found their groove. But I have a feeling this series is going to go six, and I have Chicago getting to the Calder Cup Championship. Yeah. Uh, for me, like, I don't know. I, I like San Diego to get through, but that's also a peace of mind thing for me, I think, a little mm -hmm. bit, where it's, <laughs> listen, if we're going to lose the team in the playoffs, you want to lose the team that goes to, to win the whole thing, and you want to you wanna lose to the best, right? So if San Diego's the one to win and they get on and, and move on, hats off to them that that's great. And it, it makes, I guess, us losing a little bit easier to swallow, even though it still kind of stinks. Um, but, yeah, so I guess we're going to differ here. So, yeah, I'm on San Diego's train. Okay. You got San Diego going – I mean – it's a little bit of a wash, but... Um, I don't know how many games, but I think San Diego wins. Yeah. So you got San Diego, I got Chicago. All right, let's shift to the Eastern Conference. We've got Charlotte. This one's interesting. Toronto. This one is... There's a lot of intrigue. you got Charlotte, top team in the American League during the regular season, dominating. They've only lost one game so far in the playoffs. They're 7-1. Well, Toronto's 7-0. I often like to lean towards these teams that have great regular seasons. More so than in the NHL, a regular season is a good foreshadow for what a team could do in the postseason. Doesn't guarantee anything, but you saw last year with Toronto. They were the top team in the American League. They rolled through the playoffs to a Calder Cup championship. Now, Toronto's got a lot of experience. I think I counted nine different guys that that's, are carryovers that's from last year's team. That's the key piece for me is they got a lot of returning guys who yes, have they been do. there and, have, and know what it takes, where Charlotte is obviously brand new to this. Yes. Um, you've got a Toronto team. They're the fourth oldest group in the American League, so there is a lot of experience. Their average age is 27.43. For Charlotte, they're right in the middle of the league. They're at 16th. is the 16th oldest team, 26.3 is the average age. So you've got to, you know a little bit of a dynamic in terms of youth and, and inexperience. So far, Charlotte, they're averaging 4.125 goals per game. So that's just behind San Diego for the most so far in these playoffs. It is an interesting one. This Toronto team, though, firing on the power play right now. They're just a shade under 40% on the power play that's so far. Number. And that's that, a big and number. That, <laughs> I think that's, if they're going to get through this series, that's going to be a big reason why. But then Charlotte, they've got the goaltender of the year um, in between the pipes. I mean, this is just a, it's a fascinating series. And, and they're going to get more help in the coming days. Because, yes. let's be honest, but Carolina's not going to last much longer in this series against Boston, so they're going to get a little bit of help too. That's true, but do the Carolina Hurricanes decide to send guys down? You see it this time of the year. I mean, that's a lot you're asking a guy to do going through three rounds yeah. in the NHL playoffs. And then, and, does hey, it, and then if they do, does it throw off their rhythm at exactly. all? Exactly. So I've got Charlotte getting through this series, and it's only because of the success that they had during the regular season. Yeah. I mean, it really wasn't even close. Charlotte was, you know just ahead above everybody else in the league. But it's going to be interesting, and I see it going 
I see it going seven games. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think it's hard to overlook the way Charlotte was during the regular season because they just they were an absolute powerhouse. Um, our league meetings are in Charlotte this year. I would enjoy going to Charlotte and not have to deal with, <laughs> we just won the Calder Cup. Come look how great we are. Uh, uh, that would be nice. Um, I don't Something about the, the veteran leadership on Toronto, yes, so they're, they're not going to continue to go undefeated. Like, they're going to lose a game or two. Like, it's going to happen. It's how well they overcome that, and I think Toronto should be able to overcome that a little bit. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to pick the same thing as you, so I'm going to go – I'm going to take Toronto okay. just, just to be different. Um, I do think Charlotte's got the better team overall, but I don't know. I feel like Toronto will find a way to – to get it done and, and get back to the Calder Cup. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna. It's just fascinating. You, you so far, Charlotte plus seventeen goal differential is the best so far in these playoffs. Did they play each other at all during the regular season? Well, let's find out here. We're gonna we'll check on the fly here. But I don't know if San Diego and Chicago. I don't believe they did this year, but I think they have in the past. I believe they have in the past as well. I think we're we might be the. Could be the only team in the Pacific who hasn't seen Chicago. Yeah, we have not. We have not seen Chicago over our, our four years. Um, this is what we're doing. We're bear on, with on, me here. On the fly here, looking it up. Only bringing. We want to bring you the best, the best coverage <laughs> we got, and it's all got to be up to speed, up to date. We don't want to lie to you guys. We don't want to. Probably should have looked at. We that. don't want to just guess or make anything up, even though we kind of did that with our. Original picks. We didn't really know what the heck we were talking about. They did about. play each other. Played each other four times. Um, Charlotte one, one, and two. Toronto three and one. Upsticking during with, that head-to-head matchup. Um, so it was a good competitive series. You never really know when you go outside of the division just the way that the league is set up, and it's just so yeah. unknown. Um, but they did play each other four times. Uh, Toronto... On home ice, they were uh, one and one, so they split at home and then one, took uh, both games on the road. So, and it start it will start in Charlotte. Well, so that makes me feel a little bit better about taking Toronto. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that series going to be good. I mean, both. I think the AHL lucked out, right? You're getting two great series, four great organizations as far as attendance and and just overall organizational makeup those are four organizations that just do really really well across the board uh so from the league standpoint from the american hockey league you got to be happy with what you see uh, and i think from a standpoint of these teams and who they're affiliated with they got to be excited about that as well especially a team like anaheim to see all these young guys who a lot of them i would expect to make the jump to the nhl next year with the state that the ducks are kind of in uh this is valuable experience for them as well absolutely for Chicago and San Diego, they have played each other in the past, but not this past year. Each team picked up a win, so it's a wash. Um, but you kind of restart. It's hard to anyway. yeah, it's hard to compare year over year because uh, there's so much so much turnover, so much turnover in the American Hockey League. So it's hard to compare what they've done in years past. But at least you know, you know the coaches stay the same, so the systems and things like that don't change too much. But it's all different players, so that's what you got to look out for. Another note for uh, Toronto: they've allowed just 11 goals against which is the second fewest, the only team who allowed less, Rochester, and they didn't get out of the first round. They allowed 10. So yeah. um, it's going to be a stingy series. Uh, it'll be interesting. Again, 
it's hard for us to get our kind of pulse on these series because we just don't see these Eastern Conference teams very much, and we haven't seen Chicago. But um, you start kind of getting a better idea as these, you know, as you continue along and yeah. you're able to kind of look into the analytical side and the stats of, uh, of what's making these teams successful. But um, you got four clubs going into this with uh, supreme confidence. and It's going to be good hockey be good. If, you're, if you're trying to get your fix. I know obviously the Stanley Cup playoffs are going on right now. You get the World Championships going on. But this AHL hockey, if you can, you know, find some time to sit down and watch some of it. You're not, you're not going to be disappointed with these two series, I think. I think they're going to be, you know, slobber knocker, drag it out, kind of seven games, both of them seven game series where they're just going to kick the crap out of each other. And you're going to see some very impressive things, I think, from all four clubs. I agree. I agree. Um, so we'll talk. We're, these are becoming bi-weekly. So mm-hmm. hopefully by the time we update you the next time, we're talking Shark Stanley Cup final. Yeah, well, when, when the next time we're going to talk here would be, yeah, it'd be, we'd be in the midst of the Stanley Cup. So, yeah. and, um, and unless Char- uh, Charlotte, unless Carolina can turn their series around, it looks like Boston is is moving on to the to the finals. So, um, it could be a it could be a Joe Thornton Boston Bruins oh, could reunion. You, can you imagine the storylines on that one? My God, media would have a field day. Yes, yes, they would. Um, we do, uh, I do want to tease this episode. We got some big news we're announcing tomorrow Ooh, about a cool. s- specific player. Yeah. Um, we won't t- tell you anymore, but I think everybody's going to be pretty excited to hear, uh, what, uh, will be coming out on the, uh, yeah. the news line tomorrow. Yeah. So we'll leave it at that. Yeah. I don't want to <laughs> say anything. I know what it is. I, I don't want to say anything. I'm trying to think if there's a way for me to tease it even more, but I don't think that's fair to the. The people of the United States to do that. That's not fair. <laughs> we can't do that. All right. Well, we'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. Um, we're going to get to the points. So don't you worry. We'll, we'll kind of blabber for a couple weeks, but we'll get to the point where we have guys on talking about their summers and yeah. catch up. we got to give them some time to get home and yeah. decompress and actually yes. do stuff. They don't I mean, want to talk just, to us. Yeah. I talked to Fran- Francis Brown <laughs> on the phone today. He's not a guy I can call and be like, hey, why don't you tell us everything you're doing this summer? He's going to be like, well, I've just unpacked. Yes. Like, give them some time. But, uh, No, we'll get some guys on in the near future and see what they're up to. All right, we'll talk to everybody in a couple weeks. See you. See you.